Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. History is draped in mystery, speculation, and intrigue, and certain events in our nation's past lend themselves to these fascinations. Maybe none more so than assassinations, and in particular, those of President John F. Kennedy and President Abraham Lincoln. Today's episode of The Missing Chapter delves into the latter, a renowned actor, a beloved leader, and a nation still divided. But beneath what we already know about this tragic and history-altering occurrence is a story much, much deeper. A secret society with ambitions of a new nation, separate from the one just preserved. Members hell-bent on preserving the brutal and inhumane institution of slavery and willing to do anything to achieve their objectives. A story you don't know on the podcast that brings them to you, The Missing Chapter. Hello, everybody. This is Phil Schaff and Phil Horner with the Missing Chapter Podcast. Welcome to another great episode. Today, before we get started, we are drinking Utica Coffee Roasting Company's Hazelnut. Mm. And if anyone is a fan of Austin Powers, it is a bit nutty. And I love it. It's amazing. Pair it with a little, uh, I don't know, like a sweet and creamy creamer. Yeah. yeah Forget very it. good. Perfect for Forget this time it. of year. Now, ironically enough, yes. you and I had recorded um, last week's episode... Mm-hmm about the history of the Secret Service, uh, counterfeiting Abraham Lincoln. Unbeknownst to me, you would be doing an episode about very similar features of, of what we talked about last week. Yeah, Phil, it's funny. I think one of the most commonly asked questions we get from listeners is, you know, where do our ideas for stories come from, and do you work together on those? And very often the answer is, you know, these stories can come at any point during the day. We're listening to other podcasts. We're listening to, you know, the radio. We're watching movies. Um, but yeah, we worked on these two stories completely separate from one another. And as soon as you finished your episode last week, I said, Hey, there's some irony here because mine centers around, at least in part, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Right. Yeah. Which, which I'm so curious about. Um, obviously there are so many avenues you could go down with this. Uh, you mentioned JFK in your intro. There's, there's new, there's always new things coming about that, about that assassination, the conspiracy theories behind that. We've already talked about Abe Lincoln in one of our first episodes in season one, um, which I think is a, 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 that was one of the biggest histories ironies if I've ever heard one. Um, but, uh, I'm really curious to see where you, where you take us here today. Yeah. And you know, uh, one of our, uh, family's favorite movie kind of franchises and series is, uh, National Treasure movies with Nicolas oh, yeah. Cage. And the second one in particular, we really enjoy The Book of Secrets and that opening scene, which involves, you know, a lot of the mystery. And I don't think I, I consider myself a quote unquote conspiracy theorist, but I think when it comes to assassinations and in particular Lincoln and Kennedy, there are some things there that, that you kind of fall into that rabbit hole and you're thinking, boy, they, they make sense. Right. And, and more than it just makes sense, a lot of the evidence kind of points you in that direction. But that movie in particular kind of got us, you know, thinking about the story around 
uh, John Wilkes Booth yep. and, and the events of that night. And then on top of that, Phil, um, I feel like in the last couple of years, secret societies have gotten a lot of press. A lot of notoriety, the, yeah. You know, Dan Brown's books um, kind of brought to, to light the, the Knights Templar. Yep. And you've had stories uh, around, I think, of like the Skull and Bone Society, which, you know, yep. people think of when they think of Yale University. Freemasons. So the Freemasons, yep. absolutely. Yep. And that those are great, fun things to do research on. And I tried to kind of bring that all together with a secret society that I myself was not all that familiar with. Awesome. So that's where the story is uh, headed to today. Alexander the Great's mantra expressed the sentiment that the world is not enough. And many rulers and generals have brought this thinking uh, into the mid-19th century. One in particular group of southern men in the defeated uh, Confederate states did as well. Known as the Knights of the Golden Circle. Much of what we know about them today, I'm going to be completely honest with you, is speculative. And many of the connections that I'm going to discuss with you all on this episode of The Missing Chapter are very much based around theories and conspiracy. So for that reason, I'm going to file this episode, Phil, under Missing Chapter Mysteries. We've labeled it as such, so I'm right. excited. You know, because we pride ourselves in facts. And I, I do want to say I've researched, I've done my due diligence when it comes to checking these sources. Much of what is being reported seems very viable and, and very authentic. Okay. All right, but I'm going to be uh, very upfront with that. So this secret society, known as the Knights of the Golden Circle, hatched a plot to ultimately protect, preserve, and extend slavery. But, you know, when you think of, you know, the Confederacy, you think of secret societies, you think of slavery, I think your mind, most historians go to the Ku Klux Klan. Sure. And these two are completely separate. Interesting. All right, completely separate. Because um, I think there's there's parts of what we teach about slavery throughout the world, not just the United mm-hmm. States, but it was the economic impact that Correct. a lot of countries didn't really anticipate. Yes. Because essentially they're using these slaves as, number one, as property uh, that they can make money off of. Mm-hmm. So it's free labor. Phil, you know, it's, it's like you're in my head. Okay. And it's like I... Because part of what uh, I'm going to kind of lay out is very much like just a brief history lesson to get people caught up to speed. If you're not um, as familiar with the events in American history that kind of gave birth to societies and secret groups like the Knights of the Golden Circle, you're absolutely right, though. Perfect. Because I, I think it's, it is really remarkable to see even, even the lengths at which, you know, a pretty, pretty immediate change, especially in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people might argue it took too long for slavery to get abolished. But for that point, they really had to figure out economically, how are we going to sustain yes. our own economy, a capitalist economy, when, when, you know, a certain percentage of our labor is free? Absolutely. So the Knights of the Golden Circle are all based around essentially what you just laid out. And, but it's, it is the basis for their existence is preserving slavery. Which, again, arguably is the most contentious issue in the history of the United States. I mean, you could make that argument. The Knights in their history are mired in rumor, hence the reason this is a mystery, because their goals and because of their stances on issues, you know, still fresh in the mind of Americans prior to and then in the wake of the U.S. Civil War, that kind of is the reason we don't have a lot of, quote-unquote, solid evidence around them. Mm. They didn't keep meticulous records or notes from their meetings. They didn't keep membership accounts again because what they were doing were very, very was very, very treasonous. And we do know that their ultimate goal was this: to create an empire. And and I'll tell you what, this is it, it was quite the empire that would stretch from the Caribbean to the Pacific, built on tobacco, cotton, sugar, 
And the basis was the blood and sweat of slaves. Wow. So a quick review for our listeners, like I said, on how our nation got to this point in 1865. You had the northern and the southern uh, United States which had adopted different approaches to slavery ever since uh, the country was colonized. And while the North, any state above the Mason-Dixon line, was certainly not slavery-free, like Phil said, its economic system, having been much more industrialized as opposed to the agrarian southern states, did not rely solely on the forced labor uh, of enslaved African Americans. Now, more importantly, the northern states did gradually come to prohibit slavery. But in the South, things were quite different. The free labor of slaves propped up the South's economy. And indeed, as an 1860 census showed, the region exploited the free labor of somewhere in the vicinity fill of three to four million enslaved people. Oh, my God. So naturally, the North and the South's different approaches to slavery created significant tension, specifically as the U.S. continued to grow West and representation in government was confronted with pro versus anti-slavery issues. As early in the, as the mid-1830s, Southern rights groups began springing up to promote slavery, and this tension continued throughout the first half of the 19th century. The Compromise of 1850 further extended this political division, and what was meant to diffuse the situation between pro-slavery and non-slavery states only added fuel to this fiery discrepancy. California became a free state. Slavery in Utah and New Mexico territories would be determined by popular sovereignty, and the slave trade in Washington, D.C. was dissolved. So subsequent legislation would make the slavery waters even more murky. Pro-slavery Southerners were awarded the Fugitive Slave Act, which made it easier for slave owners to recapture and return to escaped slaves. But with the Dred Scott decision in 1857, that extended abolitionism in the states. Many white Southerners saw the writing on the wall for slavery, and many of them were not willing to give it up and only dreamt of expanding the use of slaves in a way that could never be taken away from their businesses and lifestyle. So there, I kind of tried to, you know, yeah. in a quick nutshell, 1850s, the, you know, the, the years leading up to the U.S. Civil War. All of this kind of creates uh, George W.L. Bickley, who's going to be the center of our discussion today. Now, George W.L. Bickley was one such man. He was not different from many other Confederate sympathizers with regards to his views, but the fervor in which he took to his task did set him apart. Now, an interesting component to this story of Bickley's background, Phil, he's not a farmer, which okay. I found interesting. He, you know, because a lot of this is, again, based around the economy, mm-hmm. um, but he's not someone whose livelihood directly depended on forced slave labor. So instead, he was a Virginian doctor, a writer, and an editor, and a self-proclaimed adventurer. Oh. So he envisioned the dawn of a new era for the United States, and slavery played a key role in that vision. And I think that's important because it almost adds to, as you go along, this fanatical role that mm-hmm. he takes on and the extents he'd be willing to go in order to, to meet his objectives. This was based solely on his beliefs and his morals. So I think that's a, important to acknowledge because I think by any account, certainly today's you know, definition, he'd be an extremist. Wow. He's not like a okay. farmer who's trying to, hey, don't take my land, don't take my livelihood, my way of surviving. It's more of like, listen, I kind of just believe in slavery. Wow. So I think that kind of sets them apart when we yeah. get into, hey, what extent are you going to go to in order to preserve that? Pretty much anything. Jeez. You know? So according to the Texas State Historical Association, the Knights of the Golden Circle originated in Lexington, Kentucky, fittingly on July 4th, 1854. Hmm. Now, 
I, I couldn't come across anything in my research, you know, was that coincidence. But July 4th, you have a group that's kind of declaring itself yeah. separate. I, I don't think it is a coincidence. Probably not. But again, I'm going based on uh, my research. Bickley is involved in, in the military. He's achieved a, a low general uh, appointment. General George Bickley now assembles a group of five men whose names have since been lost in anonymity as founders of his group. So the overarching goal of Bickley's secret society, like I said, was simple, if not a little grandiose. You want to create a slavery-fueled empire known as the Golden Circle. All right, so that's where the, the name is originating. So this is this is a, a on-purpose society. It's He's not trying to create like the... The next state we talked about, Franklin being right. that, that 14th colony, but it, it's you're talking just a secret society within the United States to extend. Right. It's not about preserving or dissolving the Union. It's not about slavery necessarily in the states. This is about creating an empire, an empire that's completely separate from the U.S. Oh, all right. So yeah. completely separate. So okay. if you're looking at a map, Bickley's proposed new nation was extremely large and ambitious. We said it, it extended from the Mason-Dixon line. So it did include your Confederate states. Yep. But Phil, it went through Mexico. It included all of Central America. Oh, my. And even dipped into the northern portion of South America, and it included all of the Caribbean. So he envisioned a brand new, and he's not even referring to it as a country, it's an empire. So you're, so number one, empires expand. Right. So this is not just a, hey, let's let's create this little territory within mm-hmm. the United States. It's like, hey, no, 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 we're going to create an entire empire that expands to the farthest reach we can. Conquest, um, preservation of the Confederacy. Wow. We're going to let the North go in its opposite direction, and we're going to create an, an entirely new empire, much larger than, than just the existing Confederate states, and it's built entirely around having a monopoly on certain slave-driven crops. And this isn't some guy that has zero clout, zero experience. That's it. He's a general, so he's, he's got general. some he's military background. He's got, like, I mean, so there's a, an educational aspect to this, element to this, that I, I just think, it, again, it goes to, if you're looking at him, he's a fanatic. But he's got followers. So he like, started with only a, a few guys? A few guys, and they're going to go out and recruit. And, and I'm going to give you some numbers a little bit later on. And again, that's speculative, because these secret societies don't say, hey, Take out the record book from last week. Let's go over our, you know, our notes. Um, a lot of this is just mired in secrecy. I got to be honest. This is it's crazy, that woke right? me up here because yeah. in my mind, when you said secret society, I'm, I'm thinking of kind of a cultish, hale bop kind of mm-hmm. group that is just very, you know, like you said, fanatic, right? Kind of out, outsourced from society. But this guy's a general. He's got followers. He's got the clout. He's got the experience. Obviously, as a military general, if he's got a plan, he has the ability to carry it right. out. This he, is this is a new. He's entirely filled. He's entirely fueled by the divisive uh, history at the at that moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a product of the yeah. times, and we see that throughout history. Wow. So Bickley's enormous empire, uh, if ever completed, would have had a diameter of twenty four hundred miles. Its capital would be based in Havana, Cuba. Mexico, according to Bickley, would be acquired and divided into several multi or multiple slaveholding states with appointed congresspeople, led by America's southern upper class and appointed elite of source of sorts. This empire would create a worldwide monopoly on tobacco, sugar, and cotton. And according to George Bickley, the Golden Circle, this is a quote, the Golden Circle would ensure that the sun never set on the American system of exploitation. <laughs> So much of the Knight's mission 
was based on an older secret society called the Order of the Lone Star, or the OLS. Now, the OLS operated as something, as an unofficial army or militia. Okay. Which took it upon itself to invade South American countries and try to forcibly take control of them for the sake of of America and almost acting as a self-appointed extension of the federal government. Uh, But there were three different types of membership that Bickley established within the Golden Circle. So if you wanted to become a member of Bickley's Golden Circle, you fell into one of three categories. Military, you would be willing to to join this military that was going to ultimately carry out what he wanted to. Financial, you know, provide money for for their um, exploits. And then the governing uh, issue, or the governing branch, rather. The latter was a leadership posting. While the former were positions meant for the common member. I listen, I'm it's crazy, I, right? I, and I, I never <laughs> knew that this group even existed. So I'm looking right now just a, a distance calculator online. And if we go from New York City to Los Angeles, that is that is exactly two thousand four hundred and forty miles. Mm-hmm. I, that's not a small like he when he shoots for it, I mean he's shooting listen shooting and, for the stars here. This is insane. And and Essentially, what we're talking about right now are the years leading up to the Civil War. I mean, he's thinking to himself, listen, before war even breaks out, the writing's here that slavery is teetering in one form or of another. And things are not going to remain the same as they were in the years prior to the Civil War. So ultimately, for the Knights, the tensions around slavery would come to a head in 1861 when the Southern Confederate states went to war with the Northern Union states, making their goals impossible to achieve. Yeah. Because beyond this, the outcome of this civil war would, in one way or another, greatly impact what Bickley's plan is and what the, the Knights of the Golden um, Circle were, were planning to do. So what this meant for Bickley and his loyal followers is that depending on the outcome of the war, they would essentially have to take measures into their own hands, drastic measures that would have ramifications well beyond the late 1800s. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. Okay, Phil, uh, I, I, I really, I am really curious, sincerely curious of where we're headed here. There are so many avenues that my brain has taken me, so you're going to have to reel me in. Um, and I obviously, the, the golden circle mantra, I think, is going to come back uh, maybe full circle. Yes. So what do you have for us, and what avenue are you taking us down? Well, I feel like I, I did a lot of history teaching in the first half, and now I'm going to get into some of the, the quote-unquote good stuff. I'm going to tie this into the Lincoln assassination and, and go from there. And Beautiful. Talk ultimately about what happens with the Knights of the Golden Circle and maybe why we don't hear about them more prominently in the history textbooks. But by 1858, the Knights of the Golden Circle, they had their own bylaws, their own rituals. They even had a written constitution. Local chapters, because they're referring to themselves as the Knights, were known as castles. And by the 1860s, Bickley at least claimed that the group had over 100,000 members. Um, There's a good chance a lot of this is exaggerated, but still 100,000. Even if he's off by a couple thousand, um, I I don't think it's unrealistic to think at this point in history with people's frustrations, especially if you're in the South, those numbers are probably pretty high. But like, again, something I, I said in the, in the first half of the uh, episode that I'm going to reiterate, these secret groups, they're not keeping you know, meticulously written logs. Uh, they're not including specific names of who belongs because they're well aware that what they're doing is 
you know, underground. Right. And and they don't want, if anybody gets found out, people to just say, hey, we opened up your, your uh, attendance for the last week, and we know exactly who's part of this group. So a lot of it is secretive. However, based on records on where people live during specific times, more importantly, uh, who, who knew and associated with certain people, you can strongly speculate as to who exactly belonged to the Knights of the Golden Circle. And there are some more prominent members that have been at least affiliated with this group. Um, Elkanir Greer, who was a colonel of the 3rd uh, Texas Cavalry, a future governor of Texas, a guy by the name of L. Sullivan Ross. Now we get into some of these other names, though. Allegedly, Sam Houston, really? Texas politician, after which the city of Houston is named. He was uh, considered a member during the night's early days, but became kind of disillusioned, Phil, with, with their, um, where they were moving with regards to um, the animosity they felt toward the United States. He didn't really, he, that turned him off. Okay. How they were becoming um, almost like a, like a terrorist organization against their own federal government. Some sources link the infamous folk uh, outlaw Jesse James to Bickley. And the Golden Circle, and probably none more infamous than Lincoln's assassin himself, John Wilkes Booth. Now, again, even based on speculation, there are strong pieces of evidence to consider. The Library of Congress, for instance, has a Golden Circle promotional card, almost like a recruiting piece or an example of propaganda. Now, directly, picture this in your mind. It's entitled, on this small index card, it's entitled Theory, Practice, Effect. Okay. Okay. Now, pictured under theory is Binkley himself and the inscription, Head of the Knights of the Golden Circle. Wow. Right? Theory. Under practice is a picture of Booth and the words, The Assassin. Oh, my God. Finally, under effect is a bust of President Lincoln and the eerie inscription, The Martyr President. So there's one example, and that's in the Library of Congress. So, again... If you're Booth and you're not associated with the, with this organization, you'd have some explaining to do for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's possible, and, possible and, and very reasonable to think that the Knights tallied close maybe to 50,000 members by 1860, given that there were a, a member of sh- uh, membership of 16,000 in California, uh, approximately 8,000 in both Texas and Kentucky, and there were known castles in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, North into Maryland, Missouri, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and not to mention nearly 15,000 men who had joined up with the Knights of the Golden Circle following the disillusion and the falling apart of the Order of the Lone Star, that kind of precursor that I'd mentioned in the opening. So even if his 100,000 was off, 50,000 is still pretty, I guess, unnerving. For for that time period, number one, yeah, I mean, a fifty thousand, fifty thousand population city these days right. would be considered a, a medium, yeah. you know, to large size mm-hmm. city. So I'm thinking to myself, are we in the realm? And I meant to ask you this too, uh, towards the beginning here. If I think of a cult, mm-hmm. I just looked up the term. In most contexts, pejorative, but for a relatively small group, which is typically led, typically led by a charismatic and self-appointed leader Perfect. who excessively controls its members. But here's my point. As you were talking and you mentioned the 50,000 number, I'm like, wait a second. It's no longer a cult. Right. 
it's it's I would consider maybe even more of more considered a, a terrorist organization than would yeah. be a cult. Yeah, I think modern day terrorism is definitely uh, accurate, and I actually I refer to that later on, Phil. But it's it's great that you the key component to the cult aspect is that charismatic leader, correct? Mm-hmm. So this is great because my my very next paragraph uh, kind of touches on that. While we we debate a lot of these numbers and it, and they seem very fluid. One thing seemed very consistent through a lot of the research and and throughout this story is that the Knights of the Golden Circle were held together very much by the leadership of George Bickley. When he was not president, or present rather, chaos ensued. And the height of the secret club's popularity prior to the Civil War waned at the war's end. And the subsequent abolition of slavery and the reintegration of the Confederate states back into the Union. But it was Bickley. When he was not around, there was disorganization, people breaking away, people going with different other or other groups. But when he was there, he was. He was very charismatic and able to bring this group together. So um, as it starts to break up during the war, it was at its height pre-war, starting to break up and wane a little bit during the war. Who does that leave you with? It leaves you with the outliers, the, the more fanatical people yeah. who can't give up the goal. So fanatics like Bickley and Booth, who are willing to try these, you know, to conduct these very extreme measures of terrorism in a last ditch effort to try and preserve their goals and try to preserve slavery, you know, in territory south of the U.S. It seems like here he almost modified Bickley, what his goals and aspirations were. And it wasn't going to be Mexico down through Central America into South America and the Caribbean. It was straight up Mexico. From there, it was like that was his goal. If we can't have the Confederacy and if slavery is going to die out in the Union at the end of the Civil War, then Mexico seems to be you know, where he's turning his attention. So many Knights of the Golden Circle fought for the Confederacy, including Bickley himself, who participated as an army surgeon prior to his capture for espionage and subsequent death in 1867. The Knights of the Golden Circle from there after 1867 kind of s- slipped into anonymity. And began to break apart. Without him, it seems to be the end of the end. All right, I got I got two questions. Yeah. So it looks like Mexico is almost like his Rome. Right. If you if you take over Rome, you take over all the Roman Empire, yeah, right? It, you take you take Mexico, you can really establish this this prominence mm-hmm. in his his plan, right? Right. The next thing is, maybe I'm jumping the gun here. We usually ask this question at the end. Why the heck do I know? I've never heard of Bickley before. I've never heard of Bickley. You know, you, you, again, I think we go back to conspiracy. Conspiracy is, you know, people's ideas on events that are really intriguing and have that kind of element of um, mystery to them. Yeah. And, And that's why I think the Booth assassination, a lot of what you hear about the Kennedy assassination, lend themselves so well to that. But you're right. I mean, Bickley throughout all of this. Seemed like you would have come across him at one way or another uh, in, in, a, in a podcast or in a book of some sort. But, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Now, there's, there's kind of a cool component to this after all of this because it seems like the club itself is breaking apart. But if you go back to one of the things I said, there are different ways of being a participant and a member in the Knights of the Golden Circle, and one of them was funding. Okay. All right, being able to fund these ideas of, hey, we're going to take over Mexico and we're going to make our own country and preserve slavery. So the Golden Circle reportedly amassed a very large amount of money prior to the collapse of their ideals and ultimately the club. Tantalizing rumors, Phil, exist to this day 
that the Knights of the Golden Circle hid treasures still undiscovered. Now, supposedly the hidden treasure was meant to finance maybe another civil war, perhaps the invasion, and ultimately the taking over of Mexico. We don't know. But the money was there. Wow. Now, one such cache was actually discovered by two Baltimore boys in 1934 who found 5,000 gold coins estimated to be worth, ready, $10 million in today's uh, currency. But people still believe that there are more treasures to be found, whether it be across the United States and potentially north into Canada. (laughs) So now you have... (laughs) Throughout all of this, whether it be the Lincoln assassination, the undermining of the, the Civil War, now you have a treasure hunt to go along with it. You, That's the perfect equation right there to a great missing chapter. You were supposed to end with, with more answers. I'm left with more questions. I know, my, myself included. I guess that's the <laughs> oh reason we made this a missing chapter mystery. Wow. So what? It, so next step is what? I, I guess you know you continue to do the research to either confirm you know, some of the things we suggested here um, or, or disprove. Um, but, you know, as you go throughout history and they don't mention the, the Knights of the Golden Circle, I think in the back of your mind you realize that there are secret societies that were fairly large and well-funded and powerful at work beyond the ones that we get exposed to in a regular textbook. So if someone finds this treasure, yeah, you know that listeners, you heard it first. Yes. On the missing chapter. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.